invite you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 9, Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, the passage I gave you begins in verse 23, I'm going to have us start the reading a few verses earlier in verse 21, Luke chapter 9, I'll read verses 21 to 27. And let's give our attention to this God's holy inspired word. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself Take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you that truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Let's ask for God's blessing on his word. Father, your uh, word stands true forever. Um, We will pass away uh, if Christ doesn't return, and so we ask that your Holy Spirit would be active to confirm the eternal truths, um, the glory of the gospel of your Son, and enable us, Father, to believe the realities that you lay out in this passage and cling to them with our whole lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to give you a little bit of a thought experiment at the outset, tell a story, and have you imagine that you're a young lady in a wonderful, romantic relationship with someone who you feel you were destined for. You're finishing each other's sentences. You're going out on wonderful dates together. You've crossed the point where you're introducing families to each other. Uh, Things are going really, really well. You see a wonderful future with this excellent man. And this, this man lays out a plan for you for a future He uh, sets up a day, the the sun is falling over the edge of the horizon, he falls to one knee, and he evidently is going to propose to you. But the words that come out of his mouth uh, begin like this, I just have one small expectation of you in our relationship. Uh, If this is going to work out, if we are going to be able to be married to each other, I need you to daily gather up all your possessions and all of your plans and all your priorities and anticipate that by the end of that day, you're going to die. Uh, Each day in our relationship, you're going to uh, set all your tasks and all your uh, expectations for the day uh, aside and expect that you are probably going to die that day. Uh, If you were proposed to in that way, I'm sure you would have something of a nagging set of questions in the back of your mind. What kind of death are we talking about? Uh, are you serious? Is this a joke or are you, is this a real call that you're expecting of me? 
Um, I'm not sure that this movie script would sell very well to Hollywood. Uh, that kind of expectation of a bride uh, would be crazy, right? And yet this is precisely the kind of call that our master, that our husband, the true and glorious husband of his bride, the church, lays out for us as his disciples. A comprehensive call to make all of our priorities, all of our possessions, all of our preferences, all of our comforts, what we think is important, second and subservient to what Christ says is right and true, and even to set ourselves on a course for the same kind of sufferings and rejection and death that he has. The same trajectory that Christ is on is the very one that we anticipate we will go through if we are following him as his disciples. Uh, The context of this passage we'll be looking at specifically verses 23 to 27, um, but the context speaks about Christ revealing who he is as Messiah. The whole passage is about Christ's identity. Herod has started to be perplexed and ask himself, who is this person? I I think he is something to do with John the Baptist. Uh, Jesus gathers his disciples and starts to say, what are the crowds saying about my identity? And as they set aside a few options, prophets, John the Baptist... He asks them, well, what do you say? Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, very simply, you are the Christ of God. And it's evident as we look through the rest of the trajectory of the story that the disciples do not know what kind of Messiah they are following and what kind of Christ of God they are anticipating that they will go with. And so Jesus has to tell them in verse 22, the Son of Man is going to suffer many things. This is the kind of Messiah that you are following. Suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and priests, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And if that's not difficult enough to be following someone who on the face of it looks like they're going to fail in their mission in this world, he then turns to his disciples and calls them to this comprehensive, wholehearted devotion a life of consistent self-denial and trading everything that they have in terms of their priorities for their love and their service to him. I want us to see first in our passage that we need an honest response to the call to die, an honest response this evening to the call to die. Verse 23, he said to all, this is all his disciples that he's speaking to, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself take up his cross daily, and follow me. Notice these three radical features of the call to self-denial. There are no exceptions listed. There are no disciples who are called as uh, those who don't have to do this. Uh, In other contexts, Jesus is going to pull aside Peter and James and John and and say something specific to them or ask them to pray uh, with them. But in this context, he says, this is a message all my disciples need to hear. He speaks to all of them. And he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. There are no uh, people who are left out of the loop if you are following after Christ. There is no one left out of that call. 
no qualifications, nobody who's left being told, you should expect as a Christian to live a comfortable, easy life where everything seems to be going up all the time for you and everything will be basically exactly what you had hoped. All disciples are called to this daily denial. But it's every day, notice, in our passage also, also in verse 23. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow after me. Every day you should expect not to win in your estimation of what it looks like to succeed and to win according to your own priorities, but you will live a life for me. You will live a life of death and rejecting your life, and you will plan as if your whole life is on a course of this kind of suffering and death. Uh, sometimes it's difficult for us because we've been around the Bible maybe throughout our lives. So we're familiar with singing about the cross. We're familiar with talking about the glory of the cross, which is a biblical way to speak. Uh, we should boast only in the cross. Uh, but we forget just how gruesome the form and the, the kind of um, instrument the cross really is. Somebody designed this uh, piece of wood for someone to take out in a very shameful way outside of a city, uh, for everyone to watch the form of execution, and for everyone to say, don't be like that person. I mean, that was the purpose of crucifixions, was to shame and say, this is what a person who is rejected in the society will have to face. Jesus says, that's going to be you daily. You are going to have to take up your cross and set your course for a shameful death by association with me. Take up your hangman's noose. Take up your lethal injection. Take up your electric chair. Come and follow me. And so if you have an honest response, I was reading this text and reflecting and praying, your honest response needs to be, really, Lord, is there something that I'm missing in this kind of call? Daily death, daily Denial, daily rejection of my priorities and what I want so you can have what you desire in my life? Really? You're going to ask that of me? See, there's no exceptions like this text says. And it's always on. There are no days off as a Christian to the life of discipleship. There are no days when we can check out and say, I just am going to live for me today. I'm going, to, I'm going to be me, and I will do what I want for my sake and my comfort. An honest response to this call is, this is an astounding expectation that Jesus is calling his disciples to. Well, if this is a comprehensive daily call to deny ourselves, to follow after Christ, Jesus then starts to speak in paradoxes. He's going to talk about trading three things in verses 24 and 25 and 26. He's going to speak about three exchanges. I'll read them and then I'll explain them. Verse 24, whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Verse 25, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses or forfeits himself? Verse 26, whoever is ashamed of me in my words, 
Of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Um, if you're a kid, you know about trading. You know about the importance of how a trade works. Uh, the day after Christmas, we would always wake up and dump out all of our um, stocking candy, and then the trading started happening. Uh, preferences in candy are important. You always trade at least for as good a candy as what you got uh, or better, right? You always want to trade up to something that you prefer. And the whole purpose of an exchange and trade is that you get something that you wanted more. Um, if you trade down, if you trade M&Ms or Skittles for popcorn, you do not understand the principle of trading appropriate <laughs> Christmas candy, right? The, the whole idea is you need to know how to work the system and how to trade up to something better than what you got. Um, well, Jesus is going to explain that our lives as disciples, as Christians, is weighing the truth of spiritual commitments and reality and trading up, even though it does not appear to be so on the face of it, we must trade what looks like life and meaning and purpose and things that seem to satisfy in the world. We must trade for that which is eternal and weighty and heavenly. So he paints these three different exchanges. If you live for yourself and try to maintain and save your life, if you're always preserving and protecting your life, you will instead end up trading away your very life. If you end up as the most accomplished, verse 25, the desired, the successful person, but by gaining the whole world, Jesus says, you peddle away your soul. You have lost that which is most significant. Or verse 26, if you live now to feel accepted and proud in this world and live a life where you feel no shame for being a Christian, if you live a life where your glory is in what you have now, Jesus says that this self-preservation, the gaining of the whole world, and living for no shame in this world will be a horrible trade-off. You will have exchanged eternal glory with Christ. And these are not hypothetical things that Jesus is trying to drive home a point. He's not saying it's like this or uh, let me speak metaphorically. He's speaking very tangibly, speaking very truthfully that there are people, sadly, who will make this exchange. The way we know that it's not hypothetical is he speaks about those who were in his presence. Verse 27, I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. He's saying this is all real. The possibility of peddling away your soul for what seems meaningful and things that you can boast in in this world is a real possibility. Um, there's different interpretations of this uh, seeing the kingdom of God that have been proposed um, because obviously Christ did not come and consummate the kingdom. Some people oppose the idea that the transfiguration was this beginning glory of the future kingdom. Some people have proposed that Jesus is a crucifixion or is inaugurating the kingdom at his resurrection and the ascension and pouring out the spirit is seeing the kingdom. But that's not, I think, the main thrust of the point Jesus is trying to make. He's saying there's a sense of urgency now. There are people living now 
who urgently need to think about this exchange, who have to be warned not to trade away that which is eternal and glorious for that which is temporary. Well, if there is a honestly high call for the life of discipleship and complete devotion to Christ for all disciples, a daily laying down of our life. And if there is the real possibility of trading that which is eternal for that which is temporary, what will motivate us this evening to actually go out and live this way? I mean, what will make you actually want to take up a cross metaphorically and go to your death? What will make you want to lay down what you want and what you desire and what looks good externally for the sake of association with Jesus? What will drive you to not think, this is crazy, who would do this? Who would lay their whole life aside for the sake of Jesus? What gives you the power and the motivation and the heart to be able to live this kind of drastic devotion? Well, notice how personal all of these calls are. Verse 23, if anyone would come after me, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow after me. See, the life of discipleship is not just an abstract saying no to all kinds of good created things in this world, just an ascetic Uh, denial of good gifts from God just for the sake of saying no. The life of discipleship is a life of denial and laying down our preferences and privileges because we want to say yes to who Christ is. Because we want to walk in the way of our master so that we could have and treasure who he is. See, only Christ will make it all worth it to you. If anyone would come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. Verse 24 says, whoever loses his life for my sake. See, the disciples were following after this master and Jesus will say to them, I am worth giving up everything in this life. I am the worthy possession that you can forsake all things so that you can have me. This is not trading down. If you're following in the way of the cross, the opposite, verse 26, of being ashamed of Christ is boasting in finding Christ, boasting in knowing Him, being able to say, like the song says, Hallelujah, all I have is Christ. To have lost everything in this world and be able to say, I have the one possession that makes everything in this world matter. You remember the story of the man who discovered a treasure in a field, right? The pearl of great price. And he, according to what all those around him would have thought was just completely insane, goes and sells everything he has, right? 
and there's one thing that he wants. And he says, I am willing to give up everything because I want this treasure. As a Christian, the only thing that will move you each week to actually lay down what you want to serve your spouse or to wake up in the morning and serve your kids again, to pray when you feel tired and you're completely wanting to give up, the only thing that will keep motivating you is if you know I am walking after him. I want him. I want this treasured person. Well, I want to close with two final thoughts as we drive this home and and close this evening. What if you have been ashamed? What if you have been and you've thought to yourself, I am one of these people that Jesus is talking about when he says in verse 26, whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him. Uh, If you don't know Christ this evening in any saving way, there's a warning. God is calling you this evening not to peddle away your soul and find on the day, the horrible day of judgment, that you have lost everything for the sake of gaining things in this world. But if you're trusting in Christ and there have been times where you've failed and you were afraid to own Him and you have not spoken as boldly for Him as you should, remember the disciples themselves, right? They're the first ones who heard this call. Peter. Peter was told, you're going to deny me three times before it happened. And sure enough, there's a threat from being owned as one of the people who was with Jesus. And the claim comes to Peter, you sound like Jesus. You sound like one of those people from Galilee. Surely you are with him. And he says, no, I don't know him. And then the refrain repeats, surely you are with him. This is one of the followers. And he curses, he takes a curse on himself and denies Christ. Well, what happened to Peter? What moved him from the kind of person who was terrified from a little servant girl and was so ashamed to acknowledge and admit that he knew this master? What changed him into the kind of bold apostle who would have been rejoicing in the book of Acts boldly proclaiming the resurrected Lord. What motivated him to rejoice that he was able to suffer for the name? A master who loved him after he had denied. A master who gave himself on a cross to bear the curse that Peter deserved for denying him. To cry out in agony on a cross crucified, my God, my God, Why have you forsaken me? See, those who shrink back, whose hearts are not always as bold as they should, have a Savior who claims them and says, this is why I had to die for you. This is why I had to bear the dreadful curse for you. And that motivates you to then turn and speak for and testify to who Jesus is. But is it really all worth it in the end? As you come to the end of your life as a Christian and you look back on your life, will it all have been worth it to walk in the way of the cross, to deny yourself, to anticipate, to put all things in order as if you were to die every day, to be like this young lady who had been 
proposed to where she's willing to give up her life every day for the sake of this relationship with her future husband? Will it all, all been worth it? Well, I would just tell you the stories over and over again. You can read all kinds of autobiographies and memoirs of people who in this world have gotten to the highest places of influence, um, people who own spectacular businesses, and say to themselves, what is left in this? I've conquered, I've owned, I seem to have everything, and I feel so horribly empty. Uh, influencers on social media who say, I have millions and millions of followers, and I have to just push harder each time to make it. See, the often repeated refrain that we've heard probably many, many times, Jim Elliott, that he said, when he said, he is no fool who trades what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose, is true. And you will see that. Maybe if you see that in glimmering amounts now, you will see that the day that you step into glory, when you look on the face of your Savior, and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. He will not be ashamed of you on that day as you have traded what seemed privileged and comfortable in this life for him. He will delight, though we stumble and fall in many ways, to say, you are my beloved and my beloved is mine. And the treasure of having him as your possession will be everything to you in that day. May we live lives of complete devotion to him now, giving ourselves away, living a life of sacrificial love for others because of the one who's given himself for us. And may we look forward to the day when we will see him face to face and we will enjoy that presence forever. Let's close in prayer. Father, we ask um, that we would be those who are set on a course for a new Jerusalem above. Lord, we ask that the glories of heaven would start to drive out of our hearts the temptations uh, to turn back from following you today. Lord, I pray that the influence of this world, the, the shape of the life of this age that does seem so obviously comfortable in this world would not tempt us, Lord, that Christ, you would be the one who draws us lovingly to yourself day after day, that we would seek your affirmation, your love, and not find it in the arms of this world. Lord, please bend our hearts toward you to daily take up our crosses, daily deny ourselves and follow after you and know that if we have you as our treasure, we have everything that we need. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing, Take My Life and Let It Be.
dear people of God, loved by him. He gets the last word this evening and he says to you, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift his countenance on you and give you his peace. Amen. Let's close responding singing by the sea of crystal. Thank you.